Okay, so Judy Garland was a couple of generations before us, and we basically missed a lot of Liza Minnelli, too, but I didn't know how much this would go over our head or if we'd kind of just jump right in. Well, you know, I've watched a decent amount of TCM, uh, so part of me feels like I should be an early Hollywood expert, but I'm really not. Really by no stretch of the imagination am I a uh, Hollywood film expert. But unless you want to talk about Cary Grant or Audrey Hepburn, I'm just pretty much casually informed about Hollywood's golden era. And then if we skip ahead to the 1960s in which this film is set, I'm really completely out of the loop. Like, I have no idea what's going on with celebrity gossip or movies. No, I totally get where you're coming from. She's Kaylee. I'm Tuesday. Leave your dreams and ruby slippers at home. Grab a drink and tissues instead. This is Whiskey and Popcorn. Now, the time frame chosen for this is pretty unique. It's based off of a very successful stage play by Peter Quilter named End of the Rainbow. Now, the film producer, David Livingstone, actually saw this and was inspired to develop a movie based on this play and to kind of explore this time frame of Judy Garland's life. Right, and this becomes the film Judy, and it really focuses in on the final days of Judy Garland's life. We see her 30 years after The Wizard of Oz, and she's no longer this doughy-eyed Dorothy. Instead, Judy is struggling to make an income in California. She and her two children are touring up and down L.A. at these kind of dingy venues. They're not even proper clubs a lot of the times. And they're doing these vaudeville song and dance shows just to earn maybe 50 bucks. Then they lose the hotel room that they've been staying at. So with nowhere to go and backed into a corner, Judy goes to her ex-husband, Sidney Luft, for a place to stay. But the situation is tense because the two are actually locked up in a custody battle for Judy's two youngest kids. And Judy is haggard. Ultimately, she goes to London, where people still adore her, and she does this series of evening shows. It's kind of like a dinner theater to, to sing and entertain the audiences. And it's all in a bid to earn enough money to go back home to California and get her kids back. Years of unhealthy eating habits, sleep deprivation, pill popping, and drinking has basically ravaged her appearance and her voice. The film shifts back in time to the beginning of Judy's career, and we see how she was manipulated and really abused mentally and physically. But we will dive into that a little bit more later. Judy doesn't pull any punches. The real ugliness of that Hollywood machine of that golden era is laid bare. And the star of the film, Renee Zellweger, really just assumed the role of Judy Garland. I would like to make a pun about Ruby Slippers, but there is nothing sweet about this film at all. I mean, Tuesday, when you left the movie, like, what were you thinking? Oh, I had stars in my eyes. Overall, I absolutely loved it. While she's pretty amazing in Bridget Jones's Diary and Chicago and has even won some awards for those, this will 
ultimately be Renee Zellweger's career-defining role. If she doesn't win an award for this, I swear. I mean, like, her transformation into Judy was mesmerizing. And it was with basically a crew of people that helped her with costuming, hair, and makeup. And I read that she actually did vocal training for an entire year before they started filming. We know she has a voice from Chicago. Oh, yeah. But to be able to match her, I mean, it, it's, it was twins. Just every mannerism Judy had, Renee matched it. And it you almost had to do a double take sometimes when you were watching her. Yeah, it was like you could really see it in the way she captured Judy's smile, um, kind of like this it was not like the genuine I feel good smile but like the stage smile where it's like the little bit of her tooth caught on her lower lip you know just those really fine details it's those nuances that you pay attention to and even with her voice and kind of and how it wasn't almost slouching but it was kind of a you know I'm bored with this conversation kind of look and you just see her and you know she goes oh you know my entire childhood I got four hours of sleep you know and it's just everything of how Judy would say it or how she would do something. It was just paralleled. Well, I think the that Renee, as well as the team behind her, really managed to capture how that that haggardness, like you said, that she was experiencing at the end of her life. Uh, it, you know, this film kind of reminded me a bit of Dan and Ollie from earlier this year. Oh, yeah, yeah. So where you have another, this time, you know, powerhouse duo, comedic duo, and then the moonlight of their career. This is the end of Judy Garland's career as well. So it's interesting to see two films playing with celebrities in in a similar way, the end of their lives, which a lot of people may not necessarily know, which I think really makes the story fresh. Because, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who know so much about Judy Garland and her youth up into her prime as a film star. But here to kind of see the demise, and it's tragic. And Zellweger managed to really just capture not only the depression that Judy was feeling, but just the physicality of her performance. You know, she hardly slept. We see it all the time in the film. Like, she can't sleep, and it's not just jet lag. It is years of being abused as far as a child actor we see early on like she's sleeping on this couch backstage and like her manager I'm guessing is the character like rudely wakes her up and like what are you doing you got to get on set and she's like I I haven't slept you know in 24 48 hours like I really this is the first time I'm sleeping she's like I don't care you need to get on stage and then they take her to the set where it's gonna be her 16th birthday she's like my birthday is not for like another month and she's like, well, we're celebrating it now and filming it because you have this really tight film schedule. And every time that Judy tries to rebel, she basically gets the book thrown at her. It's like, well, if you don't want to do this, there's a hundred other girls standing out there wanting your spot. And it's just the manipulation was horrible. Oh, the emotional and mental abuse that she endured is very much shown throughout this. And with with that said, we kind of, we don't have a linear plot line here. We keep bouncing back between the 40s and the 60s and well even like the 30s. Yeah, the like the 30s, the 40s and then back into the 60s, which is, you know, quote unquote the common day for the movie. 
and it, it kind of, it was interesting, and I really liked the nonlinear because she'll act out in the 1960s, and you think, why are you doing this? And then it flashes back to a time when she was a teenager, and you go, oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that's actually not in the play. It's the, the original play for this movie was actually just her time in London. So that was directorically or uh, production choice to actually bounce back and forth. And I really like that, actually, because um, the young actress who plays the young Judy Garland is just as mesmerizing as Renee Zellweger. Absolutely. She is incredible. Her name is Darcy Shaw and just enchanting. She really... I think captured the young Judy Garland just as much as Renee managed to capture the old Judy Garland. And surprisingly, this is Darcy Shaw's first film credit. And she only has like one TV series under her belt, this British show called The Bay. So So she was a hidden gem they found. I loved her. One of my biggest critiques of this film is that I really wanted to see more of that young life. I was really fascinated about what was happening. I always like to know what molds a person. Why do we get to this point? And we only got just a little taste of that. And if it could have been a little more balanced between the two, I think it would have made the film overall stronger, in my opinion. See, and my critique kind of falls in line with that. It it was a little all over the place. Yes, it was based on a play, but you know, it's just such a small time of her life, just this small little bit. They could have done the story around her famous Carnegie Hall performance. They could have done a movie just around her relationships with her husbands. Or of which there are five. There are five, yeah. Poor Liza, like mother, like father, or like mother, like daughter. Um, and then, or maybe the struggling relationship with her three kids they could have done a movie about or her relationship with gay men and how much you know she helped and influenced gay culture today but instead it tries to just touch on a million facets of her life in a couple hours of time i just felt they were trying to even though it's a partial time of her life just tried to shove so much into it and you can't discuss her entire life with gay men by her just meeting one gay couple in London (laughs) like that doesn't portray all of the things she did towards you know her family with HIV and AIDS and you know the fact that Cruz's still say friend of Dorothy meetups I mean like she was iconic and they're trying to portray that with two gay guys she meets after a show like so I, there, we could have done multiple movies yeah, of and, her. And, and to that end, like because they were trying to cram in all these different aspects, I feel like that it was almost like, why, why put it in? Because it, it was almost like, if you're not going to do it justice, then just leave it out. Um, and part of me that I kind of felt that way with her, like going and having that like midnight dinner with the gay couple. I'm like, I felt like that slowed the story down. And and I understand that she is beloved of the LGBT community. And I'm sure if they didn't put it in, there'd be a huge outcry. <laughs> but I also felt like it just it slowed the story down for yeah. me. Like I said, I would have liked more of that balance between her youth and the end of her life. And seeing seeing how they would mirror that because there was a great scene where you, you could see her 
popping pills as a child and then as an adult, you know, trying to sleep, throwing the covers off and like they would do this great montage of back and forth. And I like I loved that. Mm-hmm. I wish there was more of like that callback to her youth. Uh, but, you know, you can't have it all, I guess. And I guess the only other thing was I'm not saying by all means that he wasn't an evil man because he was a business owner and it was all about profit. But I don't think when young Judy interacts with Mayor uh, of Goldwyn Mayor that of MGM Studios of MGM Studios, I don't that he kind of came out of like this evil man coming out of the bushes to punish her and then disappears again and leaves the assistants to do everything else. I mean, I think, yes, there is actual proof from Judy that he said some horrendously horrible things to her. Oh, it's my little hunchback. And, and, oh, you know, you're always, you've always been the ugly duckling. Thank goodness you can sing. And, you know, he said horrible things. And I don't think his business model was perfect, but he just kind of came out as this evil, like, man behind the curtain to to <laughs> reference Wizard of Oz. And I, d- I don't think he was that intimidating or scary necessarily to her. Again, I wasn't there back then, but he kind of just appears as this little evil villain and then disappears again. And yeah. I, I don't think it was that horrible, but... I walked out of this film a bit devastated because it destroyed... My image of Judy Garland, which I I've not read any biographies on her. I had no idea what it was like behind the camera for her. And I had no idea what the end of her life was like. And I just walked out of there going, ah, yeah, like I was kind of expecting a little bit more uplift, you know, at least with the music. But like even when she sings over the rainbow at the end of the film and just breaks down, I was just like, I'm never going to be able to listen to that song the same way again. Well, and it's it's almost like production was trying to make it look at how much she conquered and survived, but really it just, we watch her crumbling yeah. away and kind of withering into a copy of her old self, and it was incredibly difficult to watch. And this is something my family and I have talked about in the past, that if we could figure out what made Freddie Mercury's Freddie Mercury? What made Judy Garland's like Judy Garland? And be able to se- separate the sheer self-destructive nature of those artists. And would that take away the, the talent and the skill and what we love about them? Did they always have to go hand in hand with talent and self-destructiveness? And for the most part, it seems like it does. I've known artists who have gotten on medications or stopped doing drugs and they've lost their muse. Yeah. And it's really hard to watch. And I like I wish you could divide those two things. Yeah. And well, speaking of the muse, like there's a great scene when she first gets to London first time on stage and she's just is like, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. And then she gets on stage and just immediately transforms. Like right up to the moment that the assistant literally shoves her onto the stage. We actually have a clip of that that you guys can hear. Okay, we go, boys. What's the matter? Ladies and gentlemen. I can't. What? No, 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 no. What, what do you mean you can't? There's an audience out there waiting to hear you sing. My mouth's dry and it could fall apart. Listen to me. I 
You'll be fine. Now, on you go. With the critiques that we did have, I will say, if you are a Judy fan, you have to see this movie. Please take our critiques with a grain of salt because I think both of us did truly enjoy the movie. And a lot of love because, like, I I think I can also say that I, I may not have loved it as much as you. Fair. But I think it's because I'm still I'm a little traumatized from this film because I, I had such a different image of Judy Garland in my mind. And now I'm like reconciling. But she says it in the movie that, you know, she is a full person. You know, she's not just pigtails and ruby slippers. Yeah, it, I think it'll be eye opening for a lot of people. Definitely. I am ready to shake up a drink. Ooh, good call. <laughs> All right. Well, what has this movie inspired you to have? Well, I kind of want to escape now yeah, after that. Fair. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I found a drink called uh, The Wizard of Oz. Oh, nice. Fancy that. That sounds like it's going to be a fun color. Well, it's as green as the Emerald City. Ooh, okay. <laughs> and it's Midori uh, Bacardi in orange juice. Nice. Okay. Just mix that up into, you know, well, I guess how big of a glass you really want. Are yeah. you drinking Judy Garland style? Um, or, you know, do you just need like a little, you know, a little shot glass? Wow. Yeah. No, I thought it was going to have like 15 different ingredients. Oh, but no. That's it's not, very simple. That's not bad the at mi- all. The Midori gives you that nice bright green color. Well, I also paid homage to the woman herself. I'm going to drink Judy Garland's favorite drink, which is a vodka on the rocks. <laughs> yes. Very refreshing. It turns out her favorite drink is vodka on the rocks in a Sazerac glass, which for those who don't know is a triple-sized old-fashioned glass. <sighs> <laughs> and according to friends, she guzzled it like water. And she certainly does in the movie. <laughs> and she does. So just going to not not a typical drink I would have. But to honor our late great woman, we will cheers to that. Absolutely. Well, you've reached the end of this yellow brick road and you have pulled back the curtain to only find... Tuesday and myself. But sorry. <laughs> but we have plenty more of reviews and movie news coming up your way and something to mark your calendar with. It's fall here in the northern hemisphere, which means a lot of film festivals are happening within the Phoenix, Maricopa, just Arizona vicinity. And the one that's coming up first that you should mark your calendars for is the Peoria Film Festival. That's October 10th through the 13th at the Harkins Arrowhead Fountains. Make sure to subscribe to us. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And for your most updated news, gossip, and our reviews, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and always visit our website, whiskeyandpopcorn.org. That's right. We're an organization. <laughs> well, I'm clicking my ruby slippers and I'm out of here. Yeah. Well, let's drink. See you at the movies. 